You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. going on guys welcome to another episode of pure pleasure with dewey halpas on equal vision records and sound talent media i am dewey your host with the most bringing you more great content week after week this week we have tristan shown from author and punisher he has developed such an amazing project through his engineering background uh creating his own instruments it's something really, really cool, and it's something I've been into for a long time. I've seen it both in the arena, and I've also seen it in a small club. Uh, both times were incredible, um, and it, it, it's just crazy to think about how he just created these things out of his mind uh, and goes and, and develops these instruments over time. Some of them are extremely heavy uh, and extremely complex, and some of them are very simple. Uh, but we dive through a lot of that, a lot of where his background comes from, and uh, we talk about a lot of things like we always do. It never goes uh, according to plan because there is no plan. Uh, but I know that's why you guys like this show, and this is why I was excited to talk to him because we just went, you know, as we usually do, on the fly and and went to some cool spots. So uh, he's got a new album coming out in February. Uh, if you haven't heard Author and Punisher, definitely check it out. Go watch. There's a little documentary on YouTube about how he creates these instruments. I would watch that first because it really gives you a cool insight into this. And like I said, the last time I saw him uh, was opening for Tool, the last show I went to before the whole lockdown thing happened uh, back in 2019 or 2020. Maybe it was, two, it was 2020 uh, at the Moda Center in Portland. This is literally the last show I went to, and Author and Punisher opened that show, and it was insane to see and feel that in an arena. So 
Uh, cheers to Tristan for coming on. It's something we were going to do a very long time ago, and schedules just wouldn't match up. I had a bunch of stuff going on. Um, and just like this episode coming out just a little bit late, I've been sick the last week, uh, and my voice was shot. I had no voice, and it's finally coming back. So I'm going to put it out now. It's coming out you know, a few hours late. Big deal. Uh, yeah. Anyway, hopefully you're not too pissed about that. Uh, if you are, let me know, and uh, we can talk about it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's get some business out of the way, and we'll jump right in. So peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. Peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is the email if you want to get in touch with me with guest ideas or questions or comments. Uh, you can now review the show on Apple Podcasts. Well, you could have always been able to do that, but you can now rate the show on Spotify. Um, you can give us a five-star review on there. That helps us out. Keeps the algorithm going in our direction and the chart position and all that jazz. So if you like the show, throw us a five-star review on Spotify. Also join the Facebook group, uh, the Peer Pleasure Podcast Inner Circle. All you need to do is search that on Facebook and request to join. We'll let you in. Uh, we got a lot of cool stuff going on over there. You get to find out about stuff way early, uh, when it's happening, when it's happened, and in uh, what is in the actual premium service. And the premium service is peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm. If you want to get in there, you get the videos of the episodes, you get the the past cast, as well as the ad-free feed. Uh, so definitely check that out. All right. Without further ado, guys, let's jump into this one with Tristan Schoen from Author and Punisher. There we go. There we go. All right. 
Oops. Excellent. There I am. All right. Are we are you having video of this thing up or is it just audio? It's just audio. I just have the video okay. up so we can I, I record the video just for like a backup. If the audio file gets corrupted, then Zoom records it um okay. this way. Um but yeah, dude, I, I schedule these out so all my Zoom calls are in one deal. And if I accidentally don't check use your own meeting room on one appointment, it changes yeah. all of them. Ah, crap. So it added a new passcode to every Zoom call this month. So I have to go change them all now. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, so apologies on that. But, no problem. Uh, no problem. We're here now. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great, my friend. Uh I'm stoked to have you on. It's been a long time coming, and I'm stoked you're working with Monica now. She's the best publicist in the business, for sure. Well, yeah. We actually did a record uh, with um, a couple records ago with her. I mean, that was six years ago now. So. Okay. But uh, it was when I was doing the house core records thing, but but we never formally met or anything. So now it's, yeah, it's great. This is different, different situation now. So yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Man. Well, I, I'm trying to think <clears throat> how I first heard of what you were doing. I think it was, um, I, I saw you with tool. That was the yep. last show I've been to, uh, wow, since yeah, before me too. COVID. <laughs> yeah, dude, in yeah. Portland, Oregon. And I think, I don't know how long it went after that date before everyone pulled out, but it was this like weird air in the room. Uh, like, should we be here? Should we all be sitting in this massive arena? Uh, like the other shoe hadn't dropped yet. Um, yeah, but I was stoked because the, the, the buddy I brought with me didn't have any idea who you were. And I was like, dude, you're going to love this opening band. Like it's in, it's insane. Like the stuff, the stuff he's using, like you're going to love it. And it blew his damn mind. Uh, oh, and nice. seeing it in an arena was crazy for sure. Well, playing it when an arena was crazy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just never got old. It never got old. I mean, I hope I get to do that again someday. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it was it was uh yeah, it was something else and and um I was just stoked to see it in that realm because it was it was uh cuz he's like does he usually play arenas like this? I was like, "No, it's usually smaller rooms." He's like, "Cuz this is loud." And it was it was just yeah, it was something else, dude. It was it was awesome. I'm glad I got to see it before all this happened. Uh Yeah, I, mean, I felt the same way. It was my last show and then after that I holed up in a hotel for a couple of days waiting word on what was going to happen with the next few shows. And then we just hopped in my van, drove straight back to San Diego. That was it. Jesus. How many people were you touring with, with you? Well, it was funny because the first run that we started in the U S it was 12, 11, 12 shows in the beginning of January into early February. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a full crew because my gear, I brought the heaviest stuff. I basically brought my whole setup. Like, stacked on top of each other what you saw in portland was the smaller setup what i was playing at the beginning of the tour and what you might see in those live videos that i put out from the tool tour um was basically everything so i, I really needed a crew to help me carry it all mm -hmm. and get it on stage that was a huge effort and assembling it 300 pound disc and a big you know so and then all the wiring and so i had two people on stage with me a sound guy a monitor guy and a lighting person and my wife did uh did tour managing so okay Man. by the end that went to australia i had one person and by the end when i start when i did the last shows in the northwest i drove by myself i was like i can handle this <laughs> did all by yourself yeah because 
tool, I mean, my sound guys and, and lighting were great, but, um, they, you can basically pay, you know, their guys to do your sound and your lights for you for a little extra money. Like they'll be like, Hey, oh, on the side, here's a hundred bucks for the night. And, uh, certainly able people, you know? So yeah. I was just sort of like at the end, like I'd spent so much money getting ready for this tour. We decided to, uh, to, I decided I was going to make up some of that money, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but it worked out fine. It was totally fine. It was just kind of a lonely green room. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> oh. Have you been a fairly solitary person most of your life? Or are you a fairly, uh, like an introvert, extrovert? I'm curious That's because a you're good doing question. so nobody much on your own. Nobody ever asked that question, but, uh, you know, it, 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 no, I'm a very social person, mm -hmm. but there's something about the sort of, um, the process involved before and after a show and touring and the food and the driving and the hotels. And I'm certainly gotten used to, uh, having that mental space, you know, the peace, because, you know, when the show happens, it's all chaos, mm -hmm. um, getting on and off the stage often. And so, you know, then if you have to deal with somebody's bullshit, you know, oh, this person's always wakes up late or this person, only eat shitty food and their gas smells terrible. And it's just all this kind of crap. So I, I've gotten used to like not having to deal with that stuff. Dude. I, I envy that quite a bit. I was a touring musician for 12 years and, and the, the headaches and the, like you're saying, you brought up the gas because there's a, there's a thing called the 10 by 10 challenge at in and out burger. And uh, we had two drummers take the challenge. The next day we're driving through the Cascades back to Portland and one of the vans starts swerving and pulls over and two guys get out and start throwing up. The dude farted and it completely derailed, derailed the drive yeah. after that. <laughs> yeah. It was horrible. And, but bring that up, like the nightmare of things you get to deal with when you're in a band and, and with all those people um, is just, just unreal sometimes. But uh, yeah, dude, and it's, 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 it's been a problem. So yeah, but, I'm happy now. I I found a nice happy. I think it's it's added to my longevity of sorts, you know. Yeah. So that's interesting because I I I was I was curious because someone that's on stage by themselves, you know, you you're in a very interesting field as well. Um, just being an engineer as you are, like like that. I guess is that the title, an engineer, like a like a um, you went to school for, um. Or was it art school that you went to? For I went to both. I went to engineering, mechanical engineering uh, to start in 96 to 2000 at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. That's in Troy, New York, upstate mm -hmm. New York. And then I worked for a few years as an engineer at Corning, a subsidiary of Corning, which did like telecom automation robotics. And then I, it was just so dry, you know, mm -hmm. going into work and being in a cubicle and working in a clean room, bunny suit. And, uh, it was harder to like, my band was hard to keep that together. Two weeks of vacation a year, you start losing your band t-shirts. You start dressing it like banana Republic and all this shit in my head. I was like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. What's happening to me? You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I had, a, I had worked for an artist who Chris Csikszentmihalyi, he's like a, you know, he's kind of does new media art and he was using robotics and art and I had worked for him and done some projects and, I basically said, Hey man, I want to go back to art school. I want to apply my engineering to a different, uh, you know, different topic. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be making stuff and selling stuff. 
right now and working in a lab. So I went back to art school with no real history and knowing how to draw or paint or anything. Um, so I made a few sample projects, went to UCSD for a master's in um, fine arts. And that's where I started to do making sculpture, like kinetic sculpture. And, and it didn't really work out until I sort of, and I was also building sound systems at that time because I was sort of finding my one man band legs Mm-hmm. and uh, building speakers was the beginning of it. And then it started, Hey, I'm going to build a controller um, as a sculpture, you know, kind of an interactive sculpture. And then once it sort of clicked, I was like, Oh yeah, you know, interactive sculpture to make really heavy electronic and doom metal, you know, mm-hmm. dude, and that was it. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Like that, that spark that just starts that, you know, like uh, this, this, where I'm recording this is in a, in a radio station, but it's in a, yeah. it's in a basement of a apartment complex for artists. And the guy next door is a sculptor and his studio is always open when I come in here and he's got his kids in there and he's making these just, I mean, it's, it's in, incredible what someone can nice. make from this. I mean, yeah. from nothing, you know, but what you're doing is combining these two elements that are, that are absolutely fascinating. Like I've never really seen it done before, you know, it's something I saw that, I think it was that, was it noisy that did that little, like really short documentary, like showing what you're doing. Uh, I think that's what really sold me. I was like, this is like, this is crazy. Like this is something totally new to me. And I'm sure maybe it's not, maybe I'm just in the, in the dark, but it seemed like something totally, totally uh, uh, foreign and new. There's a history of, I would say, I mean, the technology that I'm using, the sort of the tricks I'm using to translate motion into, uh, you know, data, data that can control sounds, all that stuff. Like it would be hard to patent these devices because this stuff's from the seventies, you know, MIDI controllers and stuff. Um, but just the sort of idea of where it's gone into these little knob boxes and little tiny little knobs and buttons is like, you know, that's not an expressive tactile instrument that musicians like ourselves are used to playing like rock and heavy music. So Mm -hmm. I really needed that to be something that was more, uh, just more physical and kind of drawing off of machine tools and machine shop stuff and stuff I would come in contact with in the lab or at my, uh, in art school was really like, because I, I had a lot of interaction with CAD software and a lot of high tech electromechanical gadgetry in the labs I would work in. But when I went back to art school, I really got my hands dirty with welding and uh, lathe mill, CNC lathe mill, um, 3D printing and that kind of stuff. And then you're starting to interact with like all this physical stuff and kind of using that stuff at the same time I was playing this music on guitar with a drummer or drum machine. I was like, oh man, I want to apply this same motion and same like force feedback to like heavy music because it feels heavy when you're doing that mm-hmm. stuff and you're grinding through a block of aluminum or steel you know dude you're so. speaking my language right now i just <laughs> yeah. literally i'm a commercial plumber by trade now so mm-hmm. i'm using welding i'm using grinders saw all this shit that you can hear well it's rhythmic for one but you can feel it like you can feel just like playing guitar I get the same feeling sometimes if I'm doing something that's really uh, uh, interactive with what I'm doing, like if I'm using a, a plasma cutter or I'm TIG welding or something like it's the same art form to it 
um, it's just a different application. Yeah. But you get this feeling of peat. Like when I, when I strike an arc on a TIG welder, that blue light comes on, you get that little nickel smell. And I just go into like this trance, like this, this yeah. um, calm. Like normally when you're welding, like it's like, oh shit, like there it goes. Okay, got to keep it going. This peace just comes over. Like it's it's something I have a hard time describing unless you're doing it yourself. Um, but you're, I mean, you're you're coalescing me coalescing metal with electricity. Like it's so cool. Um, it's so cool. Yeah. But what you're doing, like you you you're. Uh, one thing I, I don't, so I don't do like notes for these or anything like that because I like them to be really free form conversations. And I, yeah. I hate even bringing that up because it's stupid and cheesy to do. But the reason I'm saying this, cause I've had this in my mind all day because on the way to work, uh, this morning I was listening to some of your music, uh, just kind of getting, getting in the mood for things. Um, and <clears throat> I was recalling like watching you on stage at the tool show and you've got that that um, uh, it's got a handle. It's like a joystick, and you're using that like a almost like a saw, like a like a big yeah. like um, the big Minor long saw. saw. Yes. Yep. And it it took me back to when uh, I got into cycling, and I was always wondering why these cyclists clip into their their pedals, and it's so they can pull up and push down at the same time, like in the same motion, and double the power. Yeah. And that seems like, so most drummers are, you know, hitting, boom, one motion. They're not hitting and coming up again. They're hitting with the other hand. And what you were doing was just like harnessing the entire movement instead of just one direct hit, boom, you're doing back and forth and harnessing that, 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 um, it's like a cyclonic, um, yeah. deal. And that, that was really fascinating to me thinking about it in that aspect because you're harnessing more than just your direct power you're you're harnessing the wind up and everything and i think that's what gets such a cool sound uh it, especially with the beats is just how it's just like it's it's human motion but it's through uh inanimate objects like things that aren't living it's so crazy to like like push that organic flow through something that's not well it's funny you say that because uh, i you know especially sort of the industrial you know, the cyberpunk crowd and the, you know, that, that side that <laughs> I would say it's not when I go to Portland, that's not my, the crowd. I would say it's very like in Los Angeles and in Chicago and Berlin, you know, and some parts of Germany, you get these like real, th that industrial crowd who really, they like the sort of um, those, I guess, yeah. Cyberpunk steampunk elements. Mm -hmm. And so they really, like, when people ask me like, Oh, the man machine, they're like the robotic, like, are you going to become, you know? And I'm, I'm always like, well, that's really, I'm glad that's fun for you to say that that's cool. But at the same time, this is really organic. What I've done is basically make a thing that's I'm powering everything. It's not mm -hmm. like I'm pressing play and a robot is doing something. It's, it's, it's organic electronic music. You know, I, I, I do play to a click track so I can generally like, keep my rhythm steady. I didn't used to, but I do it now because I found that it, it's just, I, it's, it just fluctuates too much, but, uh, it's, it's still like, you know, you, you have a natural ebb and flow of the tempo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And you have pitches when I have pitch controllers and I don't hit it perfectly. It's a little off, you know, Yeah. but that creates a dissonance and sort of a eeriness. It doesn't always work. <laughs> There's a lot of, <laughs> So, 
Well, it's I'm human. not a drummer. It's human. It's human. And yeah. that's the best part is it's got the ebbs and flows and it has uh you're you're hearing sounds that are normally coming from a very like quantized to a grid uh like MIDI, like with MIDI with like MIDI drums and stuff like that. A lot of those industrial tones are usually generated by that, not by yeah. human movement. So it's right. like I kind of uh, I talk about that Bjork record Vespertine all the time. Uh, where she like harnessed tiny sounds. She wanted yeah. tiny sounds amplified, and that's what made all those beats. So it sounds you're not used to hearing from nature at the level that they're at. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is making something that is normally so perfect and adding that that life to it. It's it's weird. So it does kind of do the man machine thing, but it, you're you're bringing the machine to life. You're not just playing, uh, yeah. you know, like you're not DJing. Like you're physically making it um and i think that's the most fascinating part about it is is you've harnessed the full circle but also uh there's breath to it you're i mean you can you can tell that because your brain's yeah. waiting for the perfect thing but it's not getting that it's still getting that yeah. little bit of feedback that this is a living thing i'm trying i'm getting all weird and put no about that, this. no that's true but, that's exactly right i'm glad you said that you nailed it i uh yeah i just it's just really impressive um Thanks, man. It's been a long time coming. So, dude, yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm, I think actually the first time you toured with, um, uh, where your wounds, right? Um, yeah, the Tonic Lounge. That's where it must have been that I saw you first because it was a tiny club in Portland. It had to be Tonic. Uh, it was you guys, and or it was you and uh, uh, where your wounds and uh, Zaster. Yeah, Zaster. It's too weird. Strange combination of bands, huh? Dude, but all great bands. Uh, yeah. But Zaster playing acoustic, I believe. Uh, yeah. Which is mind blowing, but um, and and really cool. But that tiny, that's why I went from that tiny club seeing you to the stadium. That was that was the contrast. That was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I know. I loved it. Just one, the first note that I hit in San Diego when we played the arena here in soundcheck. I didn't have a very long soundcheck, but. I, it was just like, oh yeah, this is going to work out, you know? Yeah. Boom. Yeah. I had brought some speakers with me, like, cause I, I run some synths out of like separate speakers and mic them sometimes. And I had them for the first 12 shows. And after that, I was like, I think we'll just go direct into the PA. It will mm -hmm. be fine. You know? Yeah. Because it was, you weren't going to hear, it wasn't going to add anything. And anyway. Yeah. Well, dude, I, I, uh, I want to go back a bit though, because I want like what were you what were you playing with as a kid? Like what were what fascinated you as a kid? Because I'm curious how people get to where they are and and the path you've chosen is so interesting. Uh did it did it match up to when you were a kid to like just being fascinated with these other things or were you just doing the normal stuff and kind of the spark hit you later with the creativity and the No, I I was always um yeah, I mean I, I would say if there's like traits that I I've always felt like I'm a creative person and I, I always like science and math. I like literature too. And, and, um, and, re, you know, reading and uh, philosophy classes, I went to Catholic high school. So I would say I even enjoyed the, those classes, even though I'm a total heathen, but I, I enjoyed like the, the full, you know, because I hadn't, I was, I grew up in the country in New Hampshire. So there wasn't, you know, like the first heavy band I heard 
was really probably like the Melvins and freshman year of high school. So like before that, it was all the hippie stuff. My parents listened to Led Zeppelin. And so growing up that isolated from everything, um, we sort of had to on a farm, we sort of had to make our own fun, you know? And Uh so I was in a, (laughs) I was, there was a, an organization called Odyssey of the mind. It used to be called Olympics of the mind too. Okay. This is very, very dorky thing, but this was like combining theater with problem solving and like science and building gadgets. So every year there would be like a, okay, you have to create a, like a, a theater production, but you would also have to transfer, um, using car jacks, you would have to create all these vehicles that would go and move from A to B. So it's kind of a, you half of your team would be like the physics and science dorks and half would be kind of the feeder kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was usually somewhere in between there, like, or like you have to have all these ping pong balls get to this location in five different ways. So you would compete at like the regional level and the state level and then the, the national level. So that for me was like, Oh, that really got me into like going in the basement, building stuff or going to junkyards and salvaging little parts. So, and then in high school, I was definitely more, you know, all the physics classes that you could build stuff. And, uh, I knew I wanted to be an engineer pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Did you find, yeah. did you find, so you go into junkyards, finding things like, did you find you were drawn to, um, anything in particular? Like I know what you're using now, primarily there's like electronics, but there's a lot of metal and things like that, like, like, um, organic material, but a lot of like, like metal and stuff like that. Um, were you drawn to anything specific that way that kind of stuck out to you? Um, not really. I mean, I, I'm into cars now. I like, I love working on my van. Um, but my, I would say it was more like, I love the electromechanical. They call it mechatronics now, but I love electromechanical stuff. So it was always this motors, um, controlling and, uh, you know, building, like we had to build these cars that would flip over. So it would drive. And then it would have to flip onto its side. So I thought it was really fun to basically take this L-shaped car and then this little lead screw would turn and it would eventually flip and drive. So it was basically hobbyist stuff, mm-hmm. but I wasn't buying kits. It was like having to figure out how to build this stuff, you know, with gears that I would salvage from, you know, we were, man, it was weird. We had to go to, we had to go to junkyards, like industrial junkyards that were hard to find. So you would have to, and being at our age, like, I don't know, 10 to 16 was kind of hard to, to get that stuff. And so I think one of the frustrations for me was like, I never had anybody that kind of made the connection of like, Oh yeah, well that you need a machine shop to do that. So when I got to college and I actually took classes on how to machine stuff and build my own gears and gear ratios and welding and like, you know, locating a part on a mill and drilling holes so that I could line up four holes rather than just drilling all the way through with my dad's drill, you know, and learning mm-hmm. those processes, that stuff for me, was, was huge. So that when I got out of school, um, and, and that's what I wanted to do. I, I really wanted to figure those things out, like robotics issues, like in college, one of the, the my favorite projects, I worked on the electric like race car, which is like a formula one race car, mm-hmm. but it was electric. Um, but those guys were assholes. It was really hard. They were like partners. It was really hard to get into that team. So I, there was a one where you had to like, it was a two planked robot. So it was like, it was like 
it was a stick that hung off of a motor hanging off the table. And then there was another piece that hung off it. That was a loose joint. And you had to figure out the physics, like the dynamics to program this in the software so that you could swing it up. And then when it got up, it would balance the two sticks on top of each other. Like, you know, and okay. it was like the hard, the hardest thing possible to do, you know, yeah. um, or, or programming a helicopter. See drones back then, like that, the, the dynamics involved with the science to have like a four, you know, um, rotor helicopter is extremely complicated, which now people just buy them and they work. But <laughs> yeah, like actually the micro, yeah, the microcontroller that's shooting the code off to control these motors and these drivers and the, getting the feedback from the encoders inside there, all that shit is like incredibly complicated. Um, you know, the thing is, is now I'm kind of, I'm kind of bummed out by all that stuff um, in some ways because, because innovation is, is kind of valued at all costs. And I wish when I look back at like what I learned, you know, that's something in the United States that's really valued. You know, like if you have, you should come up with a new product and make it, make as many of them as you can, you know, without thinking about sustainability of should you make this product? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like you can make RoboCop to fight in a war, but should you make that? Should there be war robots? Yeah, they're really cool, uh-huh. but do we need them? So that's kind of where I'm like, hmm. This just got fascinating. Sorry, that's my little rant. No, this just, just got, got fascinating. Like, yeah. Because that's something I think about all the time. Yeah. Like what even on a simple level, like like what I do, I'm not I'm not an environment like an environmentalist or like a um, you know, I'm not an activist in any any form of the word. Yeah. Um but something as simple as <clears throat> we're te- we're building a 35-story uh, hotel right now we're water testing like like hydrostatic testing pipe seven floors at a time and if it if it has a leak we dump it all of that water just down the drain and start yeah. again and i'm like you know there's people there's countries i'm sure that <laughs> fight wars over the amount of water we just dump down the drain just to make sure it doesn't leak so then i start right. thinking about like the responsibility and like what we're like okay next i go to my bomb like next seven floors we're going to test with air that's easy air compressor boom does the same thing some contractors only let you test with water then we it blows off we ruin all this sheetrock we ruin all this 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 cabinetry all these things and it's like a known thing plumbers come in the building shit's getting ruined uh (laughs) but then we've wasted all that and we throw it in a dumpster all in a dumpster like it's just it's so incredibly wasteful as we're building and and like progressing with things the skyline i guess we're destroying so many things and when you brought up the responsibility part of of what you're innovating like does this serve a purpose that's worth the backlash or worth the 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 back end that's really interesting you bring that up because that's the whole thing when you're talking like like ai and things like that like that gets way above my head but like what happens when we become so dependent on those things? Like, what do we lose? You know? Right. So I can't remember anyone's phone number. I could when I was a kid, but I can't now it's done for me. So like how much progress is too much, you know, it's just a weird thing to think about. Yeah. Science is, I mean, unfortunately in our kind of society, if you have a really good idea like that and it's going to make money, that's always going to win out 
over the effects of, you know, for example, environment and our, our, our laws aren't set up yet to protect things like that. And hopefully they will start to, um, and it's because, you know, new technologies are so much fun and, and then growing up in that and really loving, like, you know, when you were looking for a job out of school, it was like, we make this thing. There was like one that made like Coke bottles and there's like four layers of plastic in the Coke bottle. And I was going to go work for this company. And I interviewed there and I was like amazed that there's actually like multiple layers of plastic in a go in a given Coke bottle. And the amount of like science and engineering that went into that and going around all these companies and basically like, or, or like government Draper labs, which makes a lot of like robots, military robots and things like that. Amazing, amazing technology. Mm. But do I, did I want to be associated with that? And um, anyway, I, I'm not, I'm maybe not sure that some of these programs are focused enough in like educating teenagers and those, cause at that age, you're, you're kind of just like, you know, it's really hard to be thinking philosophically about like <laughs> capitalism, socialism, governments, politics, environmentalism. Like you're kind of just like getting laid and drinking beer and smoking weed. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, man, I like robots. <laughs> yeah, robots are cool. <laughs> and so you're like, I want to do whatever company makes the coolest robots I'm going to go work for. Um, but uh, maybe, maybe just think about it a little bit. But anyway, I, I, I'll pull away from that topic for now. We could go all day on that one. Yeah. Well, I like that. I like that about you that you you think about yeah. those things, you know. It's important. Mm-hmm. People need to think about that stuff because we'll just progress ourselves out of existence, you know. Um exactly. That's things yep. that I do like uh kind of seeing what someone does the inventors and, and people that are that are forward thinking that way develop. And it's weird to think about like like who developed what, like the the my dad was on a dialysis machine and the the ICU nurse came in and was like, have you seen this documentary about the dude who invented that? Like he was, he invented the Segway and like his brother was a doctor or something. Oh and yeah. He Dean, helped. Dean, Dean came in. Yeah. He's from New Hampshire. The yeah. guy, the, so the guy with the helipad on his house and like yep. all the same denim shirts and jeans and all this stuff, like a really eccentric dude. But I was like, what, a what the contrast between those two things, like a Segway and a kidney dialysis machine that's mobile that you can move room to room. Yeah. Crazy to see, yeah. you know, uh, it's just interesting to see like someone's body of work, what led to what, what led to this, you know, um, super, super fascinating. Were you ever into RC cars then? Like the hobby a grade little shit? Bit. I, th- I think they were just like, I think the fact that it was like a kit, you know, the things like that were, um, were there was a little bit too much in the box for me. And I, I was more into like the creating my own, uh, creating my own stuff from scratch, you know, yeah. um, building sleds out of like putting skis onto wood and building like a seat out of a, a bike seat or like, uh, you know, building a lot of forts. We had a big barn. I was always building forts in there and playing like war games out there. My brother and I would like shoot each other with BB guns and things like that. But, um, yeah, just that kind of shit, but RC cars, yeah, but yeah, okay. You know? All right. But, uh, playing in bands, you know, once that started, I was like, I love that problem solving, like your gear setup mm-hmm. and like your speakers. And once I got into that whole, you know, your cabinets and what your pedals are, and that was always pretty fun. Dude. What got you into making 
Like, what were you using before you decided to start making your own speaker cabinets and things like that? Like, what what was the catalyst there to to say, hey, I'm gonna? Because I know, like, I play Sun Gear, and I know, yeah. uh, not Conrad, the other the other Sunholm brother, uh, like he couldn't hear his bass over the other things, so he kind of went in the garage and made that really weird, like cone shaped. Uh, so all the speakers kind of hit each other on the way yeah. out. Um, and I thought that was fascinating. It was just like th- cool. there was a problem and it needed solving. So he went and just solved it um, yeah. and made some of the loudest amps I've ever played. Um, but what what were you playing that either wasn't doing it for you or, or you know, put you in that direction? Like, I should do my own. Well, the band I was in right before in like 2000. 2000- to 2004 or 2001 2004 before there's a band called born we never really did anything but it was i would say it's like a proggy kind of mastodon feeling band with like dueling vocals and harmonies it was most complicated guitar work i'd ever done and uh i was playing a mesa boogie do a rectifier and a um you know marshall amp and then a, i had less ball custom that i still have um, and what else was I playing Gibson Explorer? And so that, that was my gear setup. And so I went, when I went to grad school for art, then I broke that band up. I started author and Punisher. I had written those songs in about 2003 and four. And so I reprogrammed them with drum machine. Um, and, uh, so it was guitar and drum machine called painted army, which is like totally different than what I do now, but mm-hmm. So I, I entered into grad school playing that stuff. So I was, so I had a, so I was playing my guitar speakers through like a shitty Yamaha with two, you know, two 15 inch carpet covered speakers. And so I go to grad school and kind of, you know, it's a three-year program and, and like you'll have DJs in the, in the program who like on the weekends, you guys will have parties. So people will play the parties and stuff. So I was playing some local shows in San Diego at like Elks Lodge type places um the one was called che cafe mm-hmm. but uh we uh i met a guy matt hope who was in our program he's an artist who now lives in, in uh china but he came from like rave culture which is more like you know uk drum and bass and techno and dubstep so he had kind of grown up traveling around this big old mercedes band in the 90s and going to raves and building his own uh subwoofers speakers and so we're drinking beer and he's a machinist and, and doing a lot of his like sculptural art. And so he was like, dude, you got to build some of your own speakers. You can't use this, these carpeted cabinets, you know, with these, um, MDF, um, early you know, particle board wood, you know? Yeah. So we, and you know, I know the emperor and all these other kind of, um, boutique companies now would never use that shit. You know, mm-hmm. the, the game has, has gotten a lot more, um, quality gear than now, but, so we built a four by 12 and it was a trapezoidal four by 12 cabinet. And we designed it in software and, and, um, and then I hooked that up instead of using, I sold my dual rectifier and I bought a power amp and then I started building my like rack of amps. And then from there we built two folded horns that had 18 inches speakers in it. So these weird ones with the speaker points up and then kind of curls out like a trumpet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we built, uh, these little scoops. And then I built these three way, like trapezoidal tower cabinets. And so basically built this giant sound system. Um, 
And so then I was like playing all my drum beats and my synths through that and thinking like, man, this is like, this sounds so much better than my guitar through the cabinet. So I basically just ditched the guitar from that point and started playing like synth on keyboard through the sound system. Mm -hmm. So the sound system kind of became my instrument, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a band up in Portland there called, uh, MSC. Um, the, the, the guy Zach plays drums for the body sometimes. Okay. Uh-huh. When I'm familiar with from the body. The body mm -hmm. When Lee from the body, because he doesn't really fly overseas, so they've got a band that is all like sound system. They built their own sound system, and it's mm -hmm. all electronic with live drums, kind of in that same genre, like very inspired by like '90s um, electronic, like heavy drum and bass. Okay, so um, that's a huge influence for me. So that was kind of the point where I stopped. I, I kind of switched away from kind of guitar culture and moved into like sound system electronic culture okay that's, yep. in, that's interesting i've i've uh how long have you been in san diego since oh four since oh four okay so you came in after the um after like the antioch arrow and uh all yeah. that whole that whole scene had kind of come and gone uh i worked a venue up here with mac man from antioch arrow uh and aaron montaigne uh they were bartenders at the at the club i'm working at and there was this band called smegma have you heard of them yeah okay uh i was in that point i was still just in like punk rock and and uh you know that kind of stuff they played the club and i was like what the fuck am i watching right now like they had like homemade instruments and like kazoos and like all this stuff and the place was packed like sold out and I'm just complaining the whole time. Like, this is, what is this? Like, I didn't yeah. get it. And Mac literally said, hold on, grabbed a pack of swizzle sticks off the counter and just dropped them on the counter and said, that's music. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online, and splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits, and all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP 
slash PPP for 30% off. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest. Uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month, because I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. And my mind just went, everything expanded into like, you don't need chorus, you know, bridge, whatever you don't need traditional instruments to do that and i was just so closed-minded at that time that was one of the most like explosive like realization moments ever um and so that brought me into seeing like um there's been yellow swans um which they practice next door to the club where i lived and i literally 
they practiced at night. So I would like go to sleep to that. And it was the loudest. And I, I'm, ISIS is my favorite band of all time. They're very loud, but Yellow Swans, Yellow Swans literally like got into my soul. Like you could feel it inside yourself, this ridiculously loud sound. And so is all this stuff. Like there's people playing like ticket machines and like uh, all sorts of weird stuff uh, that came through the club after that. And I was just floored by it at that point because I was wow. receptive to it. Like that's cool, you know? Um Anyway, but that I brought that up because of that that whole San Diego scene down there with with um, like JP and all his bands of of, of yeah. notes, which of course all I have to say is JP and everyone knows what I'm talking about. He's been oh, in yeah, every San Diego knows. band. Uh, yeah, yeah, his his influence down here is great, and he's really like always involved. So it's a pretty tight knit community, you know. Yeah, um, you know, Gabe, all the guys from the Locust that I've had a lot of interaction with. Um, and so like all their bands and the crash worship was one band that I never really heard, mm -hmm. but they're kind of legendary in San Diego. Um, it, on the, the kind of noise electronic kind of world. And then Tarantula Hawk was another band, um, that was around, they were a neuro side of neuro. Mm -hmm. So they would like play with neurosis in that whole scene for a few years. And Braden Dio is like, um, has toured with me. He actually tours with neurosis now on their crew, but he's, he's a musician who kind of introduced me to the whole West coast. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he, we went on a tour at 07 at, right after I built my machines and it was, it was like purely noise drone at that point. And, uh, we toured up to, um, God, he took me, Nate Carson. So Nate, he introduced me to Nate Carson. We did a show with Joe Preston at the yes. Ratura. Yeah, that I, I lived I, I, in that office. That was my room oh, for two years. Oh Jesus, dude, that's what I'm talking about. Yellow Swans playing next door. Then that that city sign building, Joe Preston, uh, okay. Nate, all those guys. Like the whole that whole venue. This is <laughs> I'm going down memory lane here. But I lived in that little office corner office for two years. That was my room, and I worked there oh, and wow. toured out of there. Uh, practice spaces in the basement. All that stuff. Not to cut it's you off. It's not there anymore, right? It is. It's still a it's a it's a brewery now, Wayfinder Brewery. Oh, okay. Um, Wayfinder Reg is a relapse connection, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh and Mike Wolfson, who who was in charge of the whole venue, owned the venue, did all that stuff. He passed away two years ago. Um uh, so really young heart attack. Just just oh, that's uh, a shame. moving something in his storage unit and and was gone. Uh so that shook everyone up really bad. Uh, but he's the one who's like, hey, you can live here. You know, I, I'd like to have someone here. You don't have any yeah. money because you're touring. It's like, perfect. So that yeah. was it. But yeah, all those guys, Joe, Joe Preston would come in all the time. Uh, and Nate was married to one of the, the gals working at the, the sandwich shop during the day. So that's how I met yeah. him. He's been yeah. on the show before, but he's, uh, does he, does he your booking agent? No, but he's, we've known each other for years and okay. he's helped me out a lot when I was getting started. Um, yeah, he, he, he was very helpful. And, uh, we, we, you know, that one tour I always talk about, cause then we went to Seattle, we played the Rosalina, what was it called? The, I can't remember what it's called. It was like an underground venue. And then we did, uh, Oakland at uh, the terminal. And that's where I met David from Rosas played with some side project and, um, the smell, you know, it was just the this smell. like tour of yes. all the underground, like 
the gnarly stuff that I had never been introduced introduced to because I didn't grow up on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I sort of I was able to do those routes, and I'm always thankful to him for kind of introducing me because to make those connections to somebody to vouch for you, you know, it's very yeah. hard. It's very hard to get started. It absolutely um, is. It oh, and Aquarius is. Records wrote a review of the album in 2010. And that was, uh, that was the big turning point because they wrote a really good review. And then I was able to go play there. And, you know, then I had like the whole West coast. I, I had venues in each city I could go do. Um, and then, yeah, from then it was like getting some European shows. And then I was like, Oh, my setup is way too big, too heavy. It was meant to be sculptural, you know, like 300 pound disc, um, and so I, I had to basically design new instruments that were just as physical that basically in their case were under 50 pounds each. So I could mm. check them as baggage without having like ridiculous fees. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of the traveling that dele- you know, kind of delegated um, how I design my instruments. Interesting. So that's, that's a yeah. constraint right there. Uh, I, yep. I've talked to Ian McKay about this, like the, 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 painting yourself into a corner like on purpose like okay yeah. fugazi we're not gonna use any pedals okay uh you know evens we're doing you know uh we're gonna you know sit down when we play we're gonna play these spaces that aren't clubs like everything has like a rule to it but putting oh, a constraint on that. art is super interesting um to bring out because yeah otherwise you, you might get yourself stuck in a studio you know with all of this gear you've got the mm-hmm. best gear and you're that guy you know that probably my company will try to sell as much gear as possible to you because you'll buy it all mm-hmm. and then you'll never do it. I mean, that's fine. You can be that guy. If you're a gear guy and you just love being there, yeah. that's great. That's what you should do. But uh, yeah, I love, I love that you said that about Ian McKay. It makes me happy. Dude, that was my first thing I asked him about was you put a constraint on everything you do. Like why? Uh, and he just like, well, I'm not a Luddite, but I just, you know, I, I paint myself in a corner and work myself out, work my way out of it. That's the <laughs> exciting part, you know, and I'd been doing the show for like a, not even a year at the, that point. So I was terrified. I guessed his email address and he said, okay. So I was like, all right, here That's we go. Awesome. Let's do this. That's awesome. Um, Legend right there. Dude. Wh- well, what you're saying about, um, you know, getting those connections and getting someone to vouch for you is, is huge. Uh, even in the age of the internet, even like 2010, like all the time before, like, um, book your own fucking life. Like that whole thing, that network that, Kam- uh, Kamala parks are, um, uh, built like through, through, um, uh, maximum rock and roll and stuff like that. Mm. Like, um, that other people would then use, but like they had to do that initial legwork and then passing that on and to so many people, but find these connections like, like, like JP alone, uh, I, I reached out to him, had him on the show. He's connected me to Dave Lombardo and cool Keith and like the randomness, but he'll vouch for you because he believes in what you're doing. And, and yeah. when you find people like that, it's just an invaluable resource. Like, you know, to, that someone believes in what you're doing enough to put their name on the line, um, can really do some wonderful things. And, yeah, you know, you coming from New Hampshire, like to San Diego and then like, and and the output you've put out is just so such an interesting ride you know i was gonna bring up europe because that's touring over there like bringing your stuff has just got to be insane and you were you were already talking about it because um under 50 pounds like that's interesting to go and i know i'm jumping over the place but that disc that you're talking about that everyone's hurting their back on probably 
it looked yep. in that video like it was bending the bar, like lifting up the stairs. What does the weight of that accomplish for that particular instrument? Yeah, so th that weight is basically like that thing, if that were built from wood mm -hmm. and it was the same size, right? That's actually a steel pipe. So it's it's that heavy just being a steel pipe. Mm -hmm. That's three quarter inch pipe with a welded top and a welded bottom. If it were solid, forget about it. You would never lift it. You would need a forklift. Mm -hmm. um, so if that were made out of wood and you spun it on a bearing with, with the shaft, it would just be too easy to stop. There would be no rotational inertia. And so I really wanted something much like sort of the, uh, the you know, the lathe. The lathe has this big collet chuck, you know, that you mm -hmm. spit in the chuck. It's, you know, when you're trying to move it to put your bits in and out, you really have, it takes a lot of effort to slow it down and speed it up. And then when you spin it, it's on this bearing, it spins beautifully. I wanted something like that crossed with like a turntable, a nice turntable, like a good techniques that has the, has a little bit of weight to it as well. Yeah. You know, cheap turntables are just plastic. So as you spin this thing up and let's say it's mapped to a pitch, like a bass distorted rat, rat pedal bass tone, like, you know, so like as you speed and slow that up and you plotted the pitch, you're not going to get these kind of like right off on you're going to, you can't, you'd slow it down and the pitch is very slow, you know? Mm -hmm. So I wanted, you can almost feel the weight and the heaviness in the tones that you hear. So you can almost hear the weight of the steel. Um, and that's what I wanted. So that's why that disc is so heavy. That makes it absolutely Even though it's sense. just controlling a sound. <laughs> yeah. But you get, it's the, it's the, that sounds like the same thing. Like it's the fall, it's the the ramp up and the slow down. Like it's all in that movement, that full motion from, 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 uh, from rest to action to rest again and how it gets there. That's interesting. And that's that, a pipe that yeah. you welded the top on that and the bottom. I wouldn't have guessed yeah, that. that. Yeah. That pipe. So that is probably, that's one of the instruments early on that I had the machine shop make because it was, I needed that shaft to be perfectly concentric in that disc so that when you spin it and you look at the corner, it's not going like wobbling, you know? Mm -hmm. So I had somebody weld that and then put it on a lathe and then turn it down. So it was a perfect disc, okay. you know? Um, and that was, that's raw steel. Stainless would have been, I think heavier and extremely more, much more expensive to make. Yeah. But the cool thing about it is it, it rusts over time. So like where you play it, you know, the rust kind of wears off on your hands. And so you sort of get these like wear points where you're, you're playing it and where your hand shine, polishes the steel. So I love that kind of thing too. God, That's just as much enjoyment for me as making the music, you know? Yeah. That patina um, that you create yourself, it's like getting a new wallet and the wearing it in. And then like 10 years looking at that, like that thing's been in my pocket for 10 years, everywhere I've gone, that has gone with me. Like things like that are so cool. Like the, the, I've, I've talked about this before, but like how we imprint on things like yeah. energies. This is exactly that case. Like your, yeah. your hands touching this thing that could you know this thing could crush you this thing could completely annihilate you with its strength but just your touch alone changes the the makeup of it 
it's crazy. Like it's it's actually yeah. physically changing this object yeah. that is so much stronger than a human being as far as strength. Uh and just doing what you're doing with it. Have you heard of um oh, is it DJ Quintron? I don't know, no. Have you heard of the drum buddy? Uh-uh. Okay. You need to look this thing up when we're done. He's a yeah. he's like a, a a super like eccentric musician dude, but he made this instrument called a drum buddy, and it's like a box, and it's got a turntable on it, and then a coffee like a coffee can, and it's got these tubes that come off and look at the coffee can, and a light bulb hangs in the middle of the coffee can, and the coffee can has different holes punched in it, so when the light shoots out of those holes, it goes down one of these tubes and makes a tone. Mm. And then you can tweak it. He he makes these things. They, there's a, a an old roommate I had um, that was super into that stuff, the super quirky music, and he ordered one. It was like I don't remember how, like two grand or something like that or more. And he still plays in a band in Portland called Toy Boat, Toy Boat, Toy Boat. It's hard to say three times. Um, yeah. But like the guys from that that store, Old Town Music, are in the band, and and he plays the drum buddy, and he's like not scratching it but he's moving the same the same thing you're talking about that motion all yeah. the speed and everything it all changes the sound coming from the light and it's a light bulb in a coffee can with a bunch of yeah. electronics it's super cool um essentially an encoder yeah yeah so uh yeah, cool. i don't i thought he was from san diego he might be from the bay area um it's like dj quintron and miss pussycat or something like that is his group okay um super strange but you may find it fascinating to watch how this thing works, or you'll probably be able to figure it out really quick. But um, from my brain, I was like, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like this. Um, and you can make your yeah. own, punch your own holes and stuff like that. Um, does any of your stuff use light to, to operate it? Well, there's a very, you know, there's a lot of like very specific personal decisions I make like that, you know, that are like um, come up with a lot of ideas that, I think are good ideas, but not good for author and punisher, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's like, things have to be sort of have the right feel and uh, have to work because I'm playing a style of music now that I really want them to work with. And sometimes I'm like, I'll never use that. I'll mm -hmm. make that somebody else might like it, but I'd never use it. But yeah, every device has light because every, you know, rotary encoder is a little light, you know, okay. that reads the position of every disc, but not like in a fun way. That's mm -hmm. just internally. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that thing is, th that thing's too gnarly. And then the first one of these that I made the, called the linear actuator, I, bi I built three of them. Now I use the second one the most. Um, but yeah, that's too heavy to take to Europe too. And, and just yeah. would be, uh, but you know, maybe some if like a festival, like uh Roadburn or some, one of these festivals, sometimes they'll be like, they want you to go play an old album or something. You know, when I'm 65 years old, they'll mm -hmm. pay for it to all freight ship it over there or something. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever let this is this is just coming to my mind? But have you ever let someone, uh, like take your spot, basically, like get on your machines and see what they do with them, having no tr uh, no understanding of what they do, like a friend or another musician, like, hey, hop in the hop in the little the little squared space here and strap into these things and see what comes out of it. Have you ever tried that? Absolutely. Um, oh, man. I actually. Uh, we had I, I, like Jason Began, who is goes by Viter. He's my 
he helped me produce this record and has helped me on the last three recordings doing a lot of electronics and programming. And he's much more skilled at that stuff than I am. I, but he's hopped on there and he's very skilled with this stuff. So he, he can kind of work it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Danny, we have video of Danny Carey on there uh, at the last oh, the really? show in, um, in New Orleans. He hopped on the gear. He wanted <laughs> to hop on bef- before I sort of pared my setup down to the small setup. Yeah. So he was kind of on there, you know, like <laughs> laughing and, you know, kind of awkwardly moving stuff around. Oh man, around. this is incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. I'm like, don't, don't break it. <laughs> uh, but he, and my parents were there, so they were kind of watching, watching him use it. But uh, yeah, you know, like, let's just say that I'm better on my drum kit. And he's a lot better on his drum kit than yeah. me on his drum kit. So. He's got um, all that brass but, gear, I think, on his, or that brass snare or whatever he's got. It's super heavy or something. Something weird like yeah, that. Exactly. Dude. Yeah, They've tried. We are building, you know, the drum machines company is coming out. We're going to be making this gear to sell this year soon. But, you know, that's the process. In the next couple of months, we'll, we'll have some stuff for sale, which is basically just the same stuff, but made better you know designed by myself and a, another mechanical engineer we're really getting into the details of that so that's uh stay tuned yeah monica said something about that in the email and i couldn't find anything online about it um but the drone machines company that you're okay it's called drone machines um and we have an instagram page and we have a website now like a splash page okay um we were really hoping to have all the gear ready for sale when the album dropped in February, but mm-hmm. just supply chain has got us like waiting on stuff. So it's looking more like March, April, May or something like that. Um, and it'll be three initial devices that are pretty similar to what I use now. Mm-hmm. But, um, and so I'll be bringing that stuff on the road with me. Um, it'd be interesting to see how people use it. That's super interesting, dude. That's going to be exciting. Yeah. I, have you thought about, um, maybe you already have, but, like Kurt from Converge, like makes pedals and sells them at yep. the merch table on tour for just extra cash and stuff like that. Have you done anything like that where you have like small devices that you've made that you put up just for people to you know check out or purchase? I never this? did. Just be, but yeah, we'll probably do that now. Now that mm-hmm. I'll be kind of a you know a traveling salesman. Not that I want to do that, but we'll we'll try to come up with something you know smaller that we can sell like that. You know. Mm-hmm just kind of having something that's that price point at a merch table. Like right now this gear is like boutique high end mm-hmm. over $500. And so bringing that a bunch of that in the van, is just not practical, but maybe we could make something miniature. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or yeah. like you said, well, I, I, uh, we talked about like RC cars being kits and stuff like that. Like so much being in that kit, maybe a kit that could inspire somebody to then create right. later would be something to sort of build learn how to build and program them themselves something you could do like i know tours busy but something you know something you could do like where you can make up a bunch of you know one of the pieces at the hotel for something to do and then by halfway through tour you've got a bunch of kits that you could you know something to keep keep busy with or something if if, yeah i don't need anything else to keep me busy on tour (laughs) (laughs) i need i need things to like not do uh, um but yeah, I, I, the stressing about things on tour it quickly, like for example, my Europe. You were talking about Europe, and mm-hmm. I was about to say like uh, the biggest problem 
and this is like a joke between my agent slash tour manager over there, Federico, who I've gotten to know really well. He booked God Flash as well. And we, we like, for my gear, you have to have very specific tables to mount them on. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, when you're playing them, they fucking move all over the place. And by the end of this, you've probably seen me play. Well, you, I don't know, probably at Tonic, I had good tables. So mm-hmm. it wasn't moving on me. But in the past, it was like a sawhorse or like a custom table. Or So I'm playing and it's sliding and then it's um, my arms are way apart because the thing has moved throughout the whole set. And in the U.S., I had kind of worked something out. But in Europe, you fly into a show and you ask for some tables and they give you foldable tables, you know? Mm. And it was a nightmare. And like, it was like, it was enough that like after a few tours, I was losing my mind because I could never hold the stuff. And we would spec certain things and they wouldn't give us the right stuff. So I finally like played a show and I realized that they have these DJ tables in Europe that they bolt together. Like the legs are super sturdy and they, all the legs are like square tube aluminum. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we like made this special trip to this place where I ordered these tables, we purchased them. And now like I store them in Berlin and every time I'm over there, it's like, I need this exact tables or I, you know, I'm not playing the show. <laughs> And you know, you anywhere in the U.S. you can't find these, and so I had to buy them and have them shipped here. Now I'm going to get some shipped to my parents' house, so when I fly to the East Coast and play East Coast shows, I have them. Tables of, you know, again, it's the stuff that's not the music that I'm obsessing over. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it's I just, just want to get that bit in. Yeah, it's facilitating yeah. facilitating the art, like the in the right way, presenting it the right yeah. way. If you have shit falling off tables and the table rolling off and lights rolling off the stage, like from all that bass, like it, I'm sure, I assume stuff rattles pretty. I mean, my brain was rattling, but like the stuff on the stage has to be rattling as well. Um, and then if you're using a click of the in ears and stuff, being able to hear over that has got to be a feat as well because it's just so much coming at you. Um, yeah, having the click and then the in-ear sounding a certain way and the routing. And I send like 16, 14 channels to the front of house. So I split all the sounds out. So it's, you know, it's not a stereo. Um, it's, you know, the, the, the architecture of what I have going on in the rack going out to front of house has changed so many times over the years. It's, mm-hmm. as I was saying before, it's like, it's fun to problem solve that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's also would be fun just to not have to do it, but you know, maybe just play guitar. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Well, you're not very good. You do, you do like a, you create all these things, you know, to, to create music, create sound, create art. Uh, do you use your, your knowledge and skills to, uh, to utilize machines and, 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 um, this is a weird question, I guess, to relax like you're saying you're looking for things not to do but do you utilize that side of what you do uh to relax to to make life easier versus cre- having to create something well yeah i mean 100 percent. that's what the whole i think and this is a tendency that we were talking about for musicians and mm-hmm. gear nerds we all love gear you know when there's a new piece of gear that is related to a a cool company makes something cool. You want to use it. And so sometimes you bring it with you just because you want to have it, but you don't really need it. And so it's not going to make it better for you. Ian McKay and talking about that. And so I've really like, I would say if there's anything I feel like I've gotten better at over the years is, is paring down 
you know, I used to bring my whole sound system to a show and, and I see younger bands like this band up in Portland bringing their whole sound system. Well, you know what? They're not the venues they're playing are probably have crappy sound systems. Mm -hmm. So this is part of their identity now is having this sound system. And I love that, you know, but they might come to a day where they're playing places that already have great sound systems. They don't need that anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to get to a point where it's really going to hurt their performance by having to carry all that shit into the show every night. So that for me, it's like every day that I'm on tour and I have to, if it takes me two hours to between getting the van there to when I'm sound checking and that's straight work, that's really going to take away from my performance at the end of the night because mm -hmm. my mind is not in the right place. I'm too stressed. I probably had some technical problems because I got too much gear on stage, you know, and there's, you know, I used to have these masks that I would have on stage, these mechanical masks. Mm -hmm. They needed an air compressor. And then the wires and all the, the air tubes. So the wires, the air tubes, the MIDI cables, you know, that straps over my head. And then I'm playing this and doing this. And it's like, at some point, it's a goddamn mess. And if you have a couple of beers in you, five beers, who knows? It's chaos. You're going to have problems. At the end of the night, you're fucking drunk. You're packing up. It's a throw it in the van, do it all over again. It's like, it's not sustainable. So speaking of relaxing, it's relaxing for me now to just really think about like, what do you need for the performance to be good and shedding off everything else? Like I even, I shouldn't tell people this, but I've stopped using cabinets even because I'm able to digitally create that sound through a good enough PA that you can't tell the difference. And just not having that is a huge peace of mind because all I have to focus on is what's in front of me mm -hmm. technically, you know, and singing now that I'm singing more on the new album. Yeah. That's my biggest, that's me playing right and singing right. And it's sounding right is my hundred percent, my focus. Cause out somebody out in the audience doesn't know that you have a fucking really sick, you know, effects rack that you're using <laughs> barely. Yeah. Dude. Um, and so I'm trying to not be cynical right now, but I'm also like, that's what you learn as I think you, you tour a lot and you, you sort of go through so many stressful, hellish situations. Mm -hmm. um, and tool being on tour with tool, starting with massive setup, everything I could think of that I was going to use and then paring down and really seeing that like the reaction from the crowd was the same and the performance was, and you know, my people that were there in the crowd were like, Oh, you know, no difference, you know? So it just makes the difference in your mind, the peace of mind, the stress. Peace of mind, simpler is better. And yeah. um, anyway, you know, James had the antithesis of the James Hetfield uh, guitar setup, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you know, they have software that does that now. No, exactly. Dude, and, and if you're comfortable and and in a better place mentally from not dealing with that, you're playing better you're focused on what's important and the, the the doing the more vocals is is uh was super awesome to hear monica sent me over some stuff and and uh oh, it's awesome. really really fucking cool man so february 11th right february 11th on real February 11th crawler crawler yeah crawler yeah crawler crawler okay yeah dude you're making some amazing things and and I've I have just been floored by the things you're creating but I've I've looked forward to 
to chatting with you and and uh i i really appreciate you coming on dude i really do and and um i just i i love talking to people that do such interesting things because and things that i don't understand because i feel like i learned something or at least can bounce ideas off and uh i think i think this this record's gonna kill it man it's it's really really good thank you man it, it's a little different it's got a different uh different vibe might might turn away some of the the crusty ones but uh you know it's still heavy so i think it's i think it still hits those it still hits you in the chest but maybe the the vocals aren't as abrasive um so we'll just have to see you know i've, I've been working hard to pull that to really pull off the kind of heaviness you know with the gentle vocals mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. it's a real challenge and i'm enjoying problem solving for that right now dude absolutely yeah. are you a deaf heaven yeah. fan i uh, a little bit yeah okay their I mean, new their newest <laughs> record is really good they they kind of polished that that situation a little bit and it's really interesting because it's still huge but yeah. very beautiful like uh it's it's just it's, it's a great record i think it's called infinite granite and uh it was one of my top ones of the year for sure but um uh, Amon were, Ra did something like that. They, yeah. you know, I don't know if you heard that. Some some lighter vocals. Mm-hmm. I mean, that band is is super heavy. You oh, know, yeah. um, I don't know what it was about the pandemic. Maybe it made us all go soft a little bit. <laughs> it made us stretch <laughs> our minds a little more and just uh, yeah, find a different a different route to to get the job done. And and uh, yeah, I don't know, man. The world is the world's in a weird spot right now, and and uh, we're all in it. And it's it's I, maybe we're absorbing it differently. I don't know. Um, no, but, no. uh, dude, I, I really appreciate you coming on, dude. I really do. And, and, uh, I, like, like I said, Monica's the best and, and, um, you're in a, you're in a really good, good, good hands. Yeah. Feels great. Between that, Monica's great. Yep. You got between a good her team. and relapse. They've, they've really been putting the hours in on this new album. So I've been really happy with, with everything, you know, so I'm really excited and hopefully we'll get up there working on some 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 northwest dates it's just a little bit difficult right now because everybody's canceling and hesitant so it it will happen this year sometime i'll be there i'll be there awesome tristan well thank you so much man and and uh we'll get this turned around in time for the for the release and and uh or before the release like it'll be you know uh what's the word i'm looking for pertinent uh maybe I don't know. It'll be uh, relevant. relevant. Or, yes. Or, yeah. Relevant. It won't come out, you know, yeah. three months after. So uh, I appreciate the time, dude. And, and I'll let you get back to your evening. But uh, uh, thank you very much. And and uh, good luck to you, man. Thanks a lot. Take care. See, All right, ya. Brother. See ya. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Tristan Schoen from Author and Punisher. He was also on my buddy Blake's podcast, The Tone Mob, as well this week. It was one of those things we didn't check with each other first. You usually don't have to. But in this case, uh, they landed on the same day. So if you want to hear more about his gear setup, you can go over to the Tone Mob and check out his episode there. Blake's got a ton of rad shows on there, and he's been on here before, uh, and I've been on his show. So uh, thank you guys for coming back week after week. Definitely check out the Facebook group, the Peer Pleasure Podcast Inner Circle. Check out the premium service, peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm. And also go to Spotify. If you're on it right now, just go to the homepage for our show and give us a five-star review. That'll really help us out. And if you're on Apple Podcast, write us a review. Give us a five-star review. Uh, We got a two-star review with a pretty hilarious uh, (laughs) review. Uh, I believe it said, uh, 
something about not liking the host, which is me, which is fine. Uh, every 20 or so podcasts, I find a good one. So I don't know if this dude's listening to hundreds of podcasts and every 20 he likes, or if you only listen to 20 episodes, either way, I appreciate the honest review. And, uh, it actually gave me a really good laugh just because it left so much to question. I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but, uh, <laughs> anyways, hopefully this is big number 20 for you and you can enjoy it. But, uh, anyway, uh, if you like the show, give us five star review. Uh, otherwise you can write something, uh, like this dude did. And it was, it was pretty funny anyway. Uh, thank you guys for coming back week after week. I really appreciate it. Uh, I love seeing the numbers grow every week. Uh, and we've got a ton more coming for you. I'm doing a bunch of interviews this week. Uh, we're ending up with a bunch more in the can. We've got some big stuff uh, on the horizon, um, some some bangers, if you will, um, and some some pretty big folks. So I'm stoked to uh, get into 2022 and get things rolling hot. So thank you so much for coming back week after week. Rate, review the show. Go to the Facebook group. Join the Facebook group. Uh, review on iTunes. Rate on i or excuse me, rate on Spotify. I'm just repeating myself over and over again. I could do it 10 more times. But thank you for Tristan. Uh, thank you to Tristan for coming on the show. And uh, check out his new record coming out in February, Author and Punisher. I believe it's called Cruller. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Um, I, I, <laughs> I think I did it on the episode, too. I think it's called Cruller, uh, and it's on Relapse. And it's, it's just an incredible, incredible piece of art. Um, so check that out. Check out the little YouTube documentary on how he makes his instruments. Uh, yeah, I'm just rambling here, guys. So uh, I'm going to get out of here. I got a ton of shit to do. Uh, I have a voice back now. So I got a ton of stuff uh, on the back burner that I need to finish. But uh, yeah, thank you again, guys. I love each and every one of you. And as always, we'll see you on the radio. This is the story of Whitney Houston. The 
This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.